Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Ingles comes to get it on the right side. Runs a pick and roll with Gobert. Wraps it down low to Rudy. Rudy loses it. Saves it to Bogdanovich. Left corner three. Boyan! What a play by Rudy Gobert! Dane driving to the basket. Rudy swats it and blocks it. Five seconds left. Bogdanovich fouled. Rudy Gobert puts the bow on that wrapping. With a block shot of Dame Lillard at the rim. Thought David Locke would have been a little more worked up about that. Of all the other ones, all all night. Well, know. I mean, should have been worked up about the other one. That's saving the ball and uh, yeah, getting the three. That was a big play. When you swat Dame, yeah, with what? With three that was yeah, left? yeah. That yeah. was that was the game right there. There was still a chance if they score, stop, score to get it done, and that one put it away. David quite reserved. He had a lot of confidence at that point. He thought it was over. And it was the Jazz get a win. They beat the Blazers. A lot of storylines in this game. Joe Ingles came out on fire. A three, a second one, a third one, a fourth one. Kept it going. And then Donovan Mitchell with a huge night. And the Jazz up 20 in the fourth quarter. Let that lead go all the way down to one. It just set the hook on Jazz fans. And then they just rip you out of the water. But then it's catch and release. They put you back in. Good win for the Jazz at home, and everyone is excited. Let's remember this. Portland has a losing record. The Jazz had to win that game. And they did. They got the win. Got the first look at Jordan Clarkson, who I don't know what he could have possibly known. You just heard the post game there. Either you heard it last night after the game if you're up late or up early in the last segment. He was home for Christmas. He flew in, did the physical. And then he just must have, you know, talked to an assistant coach who told him some stuff and drew some stuff up. And then, hey, it's just basketball, you know. <laughs> just find the space, throw the ball to the open guy, pass the screen away. Yeah, good luck. And he had nine points. We'll see how this uh, pans out in the long run. That was definitely the, the pregame lean that, that Quinn used was throwing Clarkson into the fire. And that's why Donovan Mitchell was laughing about it last night. Like, it took me a year and a half. And this guy, like, has a chat with an assistant coach and then runs out there. Hey, Johnny Bryant, what do I need to do? Okay. I thought what Donovan said at the end, though, was true. He can get into the paint. He can collapse the defense, and he can create open three-pointers for guys. And for the Jazz, and we can get into this, uh, into the game, get your feedback on all this stuff later. You know, for the Jazz... That whole stay aggressive thing. They did it early in the game. They got to the basket. When the league got down to one and they called timeout after what I thought were two pretty lousy possessions. One ended with them just throwing the ball to Donovan with like three on the clock. And so he ends up taking a three off the dribble against pressure. Two things you try to avoid, and he had to do them both. But there was no other time to do anything else. That was a bad possession. And they had another one where they passed up at least one and possibly two good shots and then threw the ball in the backcourt. And I thought that was one where, uh, you know, just a little communication issue. Clarkson's the new guy, and he zigged when he should have zagged. He wasn't where I think it was Royce who threw it back there. And it's, you know, once they play together, they'll read each other and probably not make that play. 
But the Jazz get the win over the Blazers. Now, a much bigger test looming. They're playing the Clippers tomorrow. Very interesting. We've seen the Jazz do a pretty good job here of beating bad teams. And the one team they played that's really pretty good, Miami, they lost. They looked good. They competed well. But they got beat. Now can they beat the Clippers? Of course, the key with the Clippers at this point, we don't know which Clippers are going to play, if Kawhi's going to play or not. I think he's missed like nine games already. So, we'll see. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Back to Doncic with two and with one to Porzingis. Good if it goes from the right wing, it goes! As Doncic was able to roll it through the double team and Brad Porzingis again. Now driving against Murray and Aldridge. Wrap around Porzingis. Catch and shoot again for three. Back-to-back threes for Porzingis and the Mavericks back up by nine. The Dallas Mavericks get Luka Doncic back. He'd been injured. He'd been out. But, man, when he comes back, he just steps right into that whole rookie of the year role. Remember, I am. I am all NBA. I mean, all-star game. Yeah, sure. I'll take that. But I'm all NBA, too. 24 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Can you imagine where this guy's going to end up? This is like year two, and he's just killing it. Light schedule in the NBA last night. Uh, The Kings lost to the Timberwolves in double overtime. Is somebody out of this group going to get going and make the playoffs? The Kings are a game and a half behind the Blazers. And the Spurs are a game behind. The Wolves, yikes. Eight games under 500. I mean, they snapped a losing streak with that win, so that was good for them. I mean, they've been losing forever. It's like 11 straight. And, of course, the interesting thing about this game, and you just wonder, no Carl Anthony Towns. So you're winning on the road. And I get it, Sacramento. But you're winning on the road without your best player and breaking an 11-game win streak. What's going on there? Chemistry issues. Everybody really love each other. Getting the most out of that talent. It's a weird deal. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Man, I hate this weekend in college basketball. Does anybody ever play anybody? Well, there's Big Sky action. UVU's playing Antelope Valley. Utah State's playing Eastern Oregon. Scheduling some wins before you go into conference play. The Utes, they are uh, not playing before they go into conference play. Their next game, they play the uh, Oregon schools next weekend. So nothing going on there. Uh, Weber State, you're right, conference opener with Eastern Washington. But Weber State's 4-7. and seven. they got three wins over NAI schools. So I've got very, very low expectations there. BYU hosts Oral Roberts. Seems to be pretty mediocre. 7-5 out of the Summit League. Mediocre team at elevation in the Marriott Center. Expect BYU to win that and improve to 11-4. That's on BYU TV tomorrow night. DJ and PK. Hashtag BYU. Back to pass. McDonald, he's got Wilson in the shotgun looking, throws across the middle, intercepted. Hawaii's got the interception, Corey Bethel. His second interception of the game. Cougars losing Hawaii, losing in Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl. 
Man, I think many things about this game, and we will get to them in a later segment here this morning. But number one, Hawaii's a turnover machine. How did you? How did BYU end up? How, how do you, you? How do you end up with zero turnovers? Yeah, for you lose Hawaii? the turnover battle? Yeah. Okay. Yes, but even if you lose the turnover but battle, yeah. to lose three, three nothing, nothing. Like, they're Hawaii. They turn the ball over two and a half times a game. Cole McDonald had a game this year with four touchdowns and four interceptions. You should have lucked into one takeaway. You'd think so. And I thought BYU lucked. Can you luck out of a takeaway? Why doesn't ESPN have a camera on the goal line? Maybe it would have shown he wasn't in. I, yeah. I got to admit, I don't know for sure he's in. Have a camera but I thought he was line. probably in. And it's not. I guess you can say the network should provide that angle for the replay, maybe. But it's like it would just be good TV since that's the question. Could you answer the question for all the viewers? Why is there no camera? They got the little truck that drives up and down the sideline that's almost killed me 342 times when I haven't been paying attention. And they, got, they got the get-out-of-the-way guy, who's probably a get-back assistant coach who's now retired, and they've gotten me out of the way and saved my life multiple times. But why isn't that little truck parked at the goal line shooting over the referee's head right down the line? I don't understand it. I don't understand other things. I don't understand why BYU's asking the quarterback to roll out to his left, to his left, throw across his body to a guy who is short of the first down marker. Behind the line of scrimmage, he's behind the line of scrimmage. So of course he's short of the line. Yes, but on third and two, you can't run a route pass because I said this in the six o'clock hour. I've watched a lot of football, run probably more than I should have. Yeah, and there are every decade, and I know the game changes, but every decade I've watched ex quarterbacks and ex coaches tell me, "Oh, he ran that route short of the six. You have to run the route past the sticks." I never ran a route in my life. I have never been a wide receiver. I've never had a wide receiver coach tell me anything. But I know from spilling chips and soda on myself and listening to guys, because I'm not like PK. I hang on there every word, and I got my favorites and all that. And the, all of them, the good ones, the bad ones, the former college guys, former pro guys, all told me to run the run past the sticks. This game was, if you go big picture and we don't break it down, which you know I'm going to do, but... Big picture, this was BYU's season. Bad start, they lost to Utah, right? Things got better because they won at Tennessee and they beat USC. And they bobble around a little bit. And at the end, just when you think they're going to have a nice win and a good year, they don't have either. So the question's up on Facebook this morning. And we can hit this a little later in the show. And you can hit us on Twitter too, David DJ James. Facebook's DJ and PK. Seven and six, two years in a row. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Uh, we can get to this also. Will the quarterback position be opened up in spring ball? Is it going to be an open competition? And I would say after the way the game went, yes. I don't see how it can be anything except that. If I were the coaches, and what do I know? Because I'm a guy over here spilling chips on myself. As PK likes to say, second guessing because that's what they pay me for. I'd split the reps evenly between three guys say, guys, impress me. Because you're a BYU coach and you're 7-6 and six two years in a row. You got your job to worry about. Now, will one of these guys transfer? Yeah, maybe. But one of these guys might transfer if you declare one of them the starter. So, and then, because then the other guys are like, oh, I don't even get to compete for it? Hmm, I'm out of here. They've gotten, they've gotten some good stuff out of everybody. Now, they haven't gotten enough. So let them play and see who gets better. You got a bunch of guys who are still relatively inexperienced. And you can build on this, and maybe there's a big year out there, right? We see qu- quarterbacks take quantum leap forward. And then some of the other stuff around them is just 
you know, got to get better. The rest of the team has got to get better. They need more impact guys offensively. They've got to keep running backs healthy. Two years in a row, they've had running back issues. And along those lines, Tyson Williams shocks no one by announcing he's entering the NFL draft and foregoing a hardship waiver for a potential sixth year of eligibility. Skyler Southam, sophomore kicker, he's in the transfer portal. So, change is coming. Yeah, the play's kicking, not good enough. And, and maybe they shouldn't have missed that one. Maybe it was good, but, you know, knock it down the middle and then there's no debate. Exactly. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. He hasn't practiced yet. He may practice a little bit today. We're not sure yet if he is going to practice. Uh, he's questionable for the game. I do believe that uh, there's any shot of him being cleared to play medically. That If our trainers and doctors say that he can play, I think he is going to try. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope he does play. I don't really care what or who he was talking about there. I just like to listen to Ed Orgeron talk. Go Tigers. <laughs> Clyde edwards right there, the running back, star running back for LSU. Is he going to play? Is he going to sit? You know, you, you can't say this out loud because it's not right, and there's certain things you can say and certain things you can't say. But honestly, LSU is going to win this game, and they need to sit him and get him healthy for the final because they're going to need him in the title game. But they can beat Oklahoma without him. Oklahoma's defense is not that good. If they have one less weapon, what will happen? LSU will end up in the end zone. That's what will happen. Oklahoma's defense, we've seen it. It's had issues big time. If there's like one group that doesn't fit in these four teams, your offense, your defense, they'd be the Oklahoma defense. It doesn't look like an elite-level group. Can they do something for a while? Can they get a stop here and there? Maybe, but it's LSU. And really, let's see a show of hands. Who thinks LSU's scoring 40 points in this game? Because I do. And can they do it without their star running back? Yeah, I think they can. Semifinals are tomorrow. Oklahoma and LSU at 2 o'clock. Clemson and Ohio State, 6 o'clock. And the Fiesta Bowl, both those games on ESPN. And here's the thing about the semifinals. There have been way more blowouts than there have been good games. And there have been some good semifinals, but way more blowouts than good games. I think what you get, I don't think it's a jinx. I don't think it's a hex. I don't think it's any kind of karma. I think you get an elite team at this level. And then you give them three weeks to get healthy, and you give their coaches three weeks to find the weaknesses in the other team, and that's why you get blowouts. And you can give the team that isn't as good three weeks, and you know what they find out over the course of three weeks? Yeah, there's no weaknesses for us to attack in this team. So I think that's why more often than not we get these blowouts, and that could be what we see with LSU and Oklahoma. Now, I got to admit, I'm a sucker. I think Clemson-Ohio State's going to be a really good game. And when it's a blowout, I'll come back here on Monday and say, yeah, I didn't see that coming. I do see it coming just because there have been so many of them, but I can't tell you who's gonna, which team's going to blow out the other. No idea. Cotton Bowl Classic tomorrow. Oh, the game, the game Utah could have been in. Would it have really felt like a New Year's Six? Would the emotion and the passion from the Ute fan base been any different? I mean, flying to Dallas and flying to San Antonio is expensive, and there aren't that many airline seats that are going to move so many people. When you really want to move people and move, you know, 20 or 25,000 Ute fans, you, they got to be able to drive, like to San Diego for the Holiday Bowl. Eh, nobody's driving to Dallas or San Antonio, not in any real numbers. I mean, there's probably a couple couple uh, frat boy must members out there who are like, yeah, let's ride! The hardcore. Road trip! Yeah. And they're spilling chips all over the car for three days. But 
Not very many. Uh, USC and Iowa in the Holiday Bowl tonight. That's on FS1. And you can also see Washington State and Air Force in the Cheez-It Bowl, 8.15 on ESPN. Why do we all think Washington State's in trouble? Because Washington State's in trouble, They're in right? trouble, yeah. yeah. They're in trouble. <laughs> it's a 10-win Air Force team. You don't want to mess with that. Hey, Washington State, how's your run defense? And by the way, that rhythm offense you run, you could be standing on the sideline for 20 minutes at a time. Exactly. If Washington gets if Washington State gets this win, I'll be impressed. It'll be a good win. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. What brought you back this time? Happy holidays. Merry New Year. Well, have a great day. It's great for them to be back. And there's Marshawn Lynch. He's back, baby. I don't know if he can run like he used to, but he can still hold short, weird press availabilities like he used to. I'm he hasn't lost. I don't get fined. He hasn't lost that skill. Seattle, San Francisco. If San Francisco wins, they're the one seed in the NFC playoffs. They don't have to go play the Saints in the Dome. They don't have to go play the Packers in Lambeau Field. A couple of the better home field advantages in football. And the Niners don't have to do it if they win this game. And Seattle's lost their left tackle and all their running backs. Russell Wilson is not in a groove. Not to put it all on him. I don't want to be bitter about what he did to my fantasy team. I'm rising above that. Barely. But he's thrown seven touchdown passes in six games. He had that huge game the PK was at at home against Tampa Bay when he threw five touchdown passes. And honestly, at that point, I thought I was going to win my league. I thought I was going to win the playoffs. It was all set up. And then Seattle's offense destructed. Injuries everywhere. Uh, a couple other big games to watch this weekend. Uh, the Patriots can wrap things up with a win and get a first-round bye and a second-round home game. And they would prefer that to playing in the opening round and then having to go to Kansas City in the divisional round. Kansas City needs a win and help. Kansas City at home playing the Chargers. Who haven't won a division game yet and aren't likely to win this one. But the Chiefs need help. Uh, NFC East. That pitiable thing. Is it over? Is it really over? All the Eagles have to do is beat the Giants and win the division. But, you know, you probably take a peek at that just on the off chance they mess that thing up. And even then, Dallas would have to be Washington. Exactly. It would be the NFC East upside down. If the Giants, if New York and Washington both win on the final week and the square Redskins, go Giants. And then Philly backs into it. Whatever. Okay, fine. All right, a lot of seeds to sort out. A lot of the playoff bids are locked up, but a lot of seeding and matchups to sort out here on the final weekend. And Marcus Golden, Merry Christmas. He gets a $1 million bonus, a stat correction. He had been given a half sack in a game, but the teammate was just holding on to the leg. He wasn't bringing anybody to the ground. He so took they gave care him, of the business, yeah. Gave him the full sack. I don't know about that, but okay if you say so. They gave him the full sack, and he gets a $1 million bonus. So who had a merrier Christmas? Hey, 10 sacks, $1 million, let's go. Coming out of the G League to the NBA. That's a good point. Rajon came in, did that first interview. He played it for you earlier this morning. Mm-hmm. This best Christmas gift ever. I don't know. There's a million-dollar Christmas gift right there. But see, he'd point out, well, if it works out in the NBA, it'll be a multi-million-dollar Christmas gift. So the multi-million-dollar Christmas gift tops the million-dollar Christmas gift. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up later this morning, David Locke, ready to voice the Utah Jazz, slated to join us at 8.30. Waiting on Joe Ingles. 
Probably right after David Locke would be my guess. And we will talk with Joe Ingles here today as well. Coming up next, your thoughts on the Jazz, the acquisition, your first look at Clarkson, how all these guys fit in together. We will get to that next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. The ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. That's the sound of me. I think it was going after you. Whizzing down my leg <laughs> while singing the national anthem at a bees game, not a foot away from a bald eagle who did not like my bald. The shine came off the back of my head and he was like, I've had it! It was kind of scary. For bald eagle, man, those claws got a hold of that dome, man. It'd yeah, I might. a tough fight, man. Uh, <laughs> I'd still take you in the battle, but you're not coming you out You take of me it. over an eagle? I would never punch a bald eagle. I'd go to prison. That eagle is actually pretty quick. In fact, by law, I think it's allowed to attack my dome. Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Your guests will notice your toes will thank you. Call Zero Res for a holiday carpet cleaning, just $33 per room, and your fourth room is free. December only. Happy holidays from your friends at Zero Res. Call them at 801-288-9376. All right. The Utah Jazz get the victory. They beat Portland. Your takes on the game, what you thought of the new acquisition, Jordan Clarkson, and how things went. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of everything from him. I got low expectations until he's with the team for a while, goes through some practices and get used to what they're doing. It's kind of going to be a pickup game for him. Four of 12 shooting. Uh, I know a lot of you complained on the way in. The people who didn't like the deal, uh, which, you know, might be people who listen to our show who root for other teams. (laughs) It could be. Could have been some Laker fans in the mix on this one. But they point out he's a high-volume guy. And... The thing the Jazz really need, it's what every team needs, but he needs more three-point shooting, and he's all over the map. Now he comes out and he's one for six the first night. Okay, he doesn't know his teammates. He doesn't know the offense. He was taking a physical. The way he described it, he was taking a physical while the team was shooting around. So literally, the prep for this is next to nothing, but they've got no bench, and they got to use him. So they do. So and, and plus, guys just are hot one night and not the other. If you look at his numbers— He's had seasons. He's been all over the map the last two and a half years with Cleveland. Come in, s- smaller sample size because it was a mid-year move from the Lakers to the Cavs. He only got in like almost 30 games. And he shoots 40% from three. Oh my gosh, if he could do that, the Lakers wouldn't have moved him. Now he comes out the next year, he shoots 33%, which is about on his career average. This year he's shooting 37%. And that's the thing. If you can coach a guy up... And really going from 33 to 37% is getting someone. You could do that if all you did was get a guy to just not shoot the most unlikely three-point make. If he's in a group where he doesn't have to take shots against the clock, if he learns that he's not good taking shots off the dribble going one way or the other, he doesn't have to limit all the off-the-dribble threes, but you know maybe not the ones where he's moving to his left. Maybe he's not as good at that. You could get a guy up to 37%, and that can make him pretty useful. And then he goes down, and he's one for six, and obviously that's not a good number. He gave him a little bit of offense in the first half. He didn't give him anything in the second half. And honestly, I think that's what they're going to get out of him. The question is, can you just minimize the stretches where he's giving you nothing and maximize the stretch a little bit where he's giving you something? Because if he were more than that, would he have been available? If he's more than that, he's probably not on the Jazz team. 
But if you coach them up just a little bit, and the Jazz are big on this, I think this is what all the analytics is based on. If you can change one or two habits, one or two decisions over time, because there's so many possessions in a basketball game, and then there's three times that in the average week when they're playing three games. Of course, across the season, just a little bit more efficient. You'd be surprised the difference that can make, especially when you're only asking a guy to be the seventh or eighth guy on your team. And I think that's what we're seeing with Moutier. Slowly over time, we're seeing him make a few more good decisions and eliminating a few bad ones, and that's really all it takes. And if you can find three or four guys like that to put into the bench unit, then you got something going. And when Conley's healthy, and they're still obviously playing without him, I mean, right now, Moody and Clarkson are the top of the bench unit. They, they are. Now, if you get Conley back, you can move another guy in, or several people a few minutes here and there, and, and you've got more Bogdanovich or Mitchell or however they arrange it on the floor. Conley will eat up people's minutes and push other guys uh, into those bench minutes and eliminate some of those bench minutes. So, I don't think you can make any dramatic statement off that first game. It was a step in the right direction. And I thought the interesting thing was how bad Jazz fans wanted. The reaction he got when he checked in, <laughs> holy cow. I mean, people were on fire. And I have to say, he checked in at the right time. He checked in while Joe Ingles was hot and everybody was in a good mood. Because I went to that game as a fan last night, and I rarely do that. And my son's home, and he's living out of state. And so we went to a game. And it is different. I mean, I get the fan reaction, but I mean, I was really in among the fans. And I could hear conversations. Like where we sit for the media and sometimes I sit up in the radio studio so I can catch the broadcast because I know those guys um, have to go to shoot around and they're in there. And so they can tell you, like I see stuff happen in a game, but if I'm listening to Bowler or Locke on the call, or and the analyst too, whether it's, uh, you know, I mean it was a TNT game last night, so obviously we didn't have Harper and Thurl on the call. But Ron Boone, you know what they were prepped to do. You know, if they're doing what they're supposed to do and the other team's hot and hits a shot, then you know it. As opposed to sitting there as a fan watching, I wonder why they did that. You know, well, the guys who are in the shoot arounds and practices, they know why they did that. And they'll tell you they're not supposed to be doing that or they are supposed to be doing that. So find that helpful. But anyway, sitting among the fans and you could overhear conversations. I got to tell you, there's a jazz fan behind me, highly educated. He was calling good shot and bad shot, and he was right. He was right. And he wasn't spent a lot of time Somebody's ripping the refs. He did rip the refs a few times. But uh, late in the game, and everybody's going nuts, and the 20-point lead is melting down to one, and they, they, were, they were looking at, at shooting jump shot threes, and they passed a couple up, and then they had throwing the ball in the backcourt. And he's right there, oh, they're overpassing. But man, Jazz fans were on fire. You could hear it with Ingles early on, and then Clarkson checks in. I really thought if everyone had gone home after the first quarter, it was like, yeah, that was a good enough night's entertainment. That was solid. And people were just on fire. I mean, it's one game in December out of 82 against a team with a sub-500 record. And, and Portland may end up being better than that. We'll see. You know, they got to get Nurkic back and get him healthy, which is still, I think, still out there a ways. And so, you know, they're, they're playing with one hand tied behind their back right now. All right, got your reaction coming in. Uh, a lot of you, what you think about the Jazz and how things went, and if you liked it. Um, <laughs> I 
How many game-saving blocks has Rudy Gobert had in his career? Everyone talks about game-winning shots, but I can think of at least five game-winning blocks he's had. That comes from Aaron. Excellent point, Aaron. And I was surprised how unenthused David Locke was on that call. Uh, Yak actually played it in the last segment. I thought that was huge. I thought the game was still. I thought the game was still hanging in the balance when Rudy makes this play. Dame driving to the basket. Rudy swats it and blocks it. Five seconds left. Bogdanovich fouled. Yeah, I was surprised because you get a bucket there. Exactly. You could have played the foul game. You foul on the inbounds. What if they miss a free throw? Do you come down? Does uh, Lillard and McCollum throw in some ridiculous shot? As far I mean, as they're not winning a lot of games. Yeah. But can those two throw in ridiculous shots? Well, I mean, they're getting open shots at times. Look what Dame like, was doing last night late in that game. Well, he took a couple shots from the top of the key. And the first one he took, he was in between like two guys. He's off balance. He's kind of tipped forward. And he throws that thing in. Are you kidding me? Now he comes off a screen another time, just wide open, top of the key. That's basically a free throw for him. Yeah, that's an easy one. That, and of course, he had some ones in traffic that were just ridiculous. Right. And as far as late game calls, that's. Yeah, I thought Locke was very reserved yeah. there. I, I would have expected him to be a little, little more fired up. Well, we can talk about that. Maybe he was playing the time game and he thought there wasn't enough time. But in the NBA, where you can call timeout and advance the ball, it always feels like, you know, there's enough time. Uh, yeah, on Rudy's game-winning blocks, absolutely, Aaron, I'm with you. You take away a lot of easy hoops with the blocks throughout the game. A lot of layups. Tom uh, checking in, uh, and he was one of several guys who checked in. Uh, they gave up the big lead, but they never gave up the lead. The 20 went down to one, but they were never actually behind. Now, yes, a big part of the lead went away. I guess the better team would that have mattered. You know, and, and I don't think it's a not care thing. I don't think it's uh, I think it's a getting caught up in the moment thing. Because Quinn calls timeout, and they attack the rim twice. They spread him out, and Mitchell gets a, like a five- or six-footer, and Joe Ingles gets something right at the front of the rim. And I have to say that Portland lost their mind in the timeout. You know, there's the expression, the other guys are good, too. In the middle of McCollum going off and Damian Lillard going off, Portland, right after they get the lead down to one and the Jazz call timeout and uh, Donovan scores, how come Labissier, who's that, which is one of the most fun names in the NBA, how come Labissier is going one-on-one with Rudy Gobert down low while Lillard and McCollum watch? Quinn's over there on the sideline. All my prayers have been answered. This is awesome. Can we not give the ball to those two? And, of course, Rudy blocked the shot. Some of the other guys make horrific decisions, too. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You can hit us up on uh, Facebook. You can hit us up on Twitter. You can call 855-340-ZONE. What do you think about the opening appearance, the first one from uh, Clarkson or Joe's hot start or Donovan's big game? 855-340-ZONE. Use the app. Send us your takes, and uh, we will get to them coming up. Got more people weighing in on our uh, on our Facebook page. Gilbert, Rudy's first and only block of the game when it counted the most. 
he had more blocks. Did they not give him credit? Did they shaft him? Because that was not his only block. Mark liked that the Jazz held the composure in the fourth when Portland made a run and they were able to close the game out. I'm really curious if they're going to be able to do that against the Clippers. Because you're doing it against a team that's fighting to get back to 500. And Portland had a terrible stretch early in the season. They've been playing a little better, but they are still under 500 for the year. Shelly says, last year the Jazz struggled in close games. In fact, I believe I heard David Locke say they were one of the worst teams in the clutch. It's great to see them having success in close games this year. And Shelly, for all the people who hate that Derek Favors is gone, I think that's the biggest lesson here. The Jazz are spending a lot of money on their bench. And in a clutch game at the end, you put your best five out there, and you got to be able to make plays. And last year, the Jazz beat people with their bench. And Derek Favors led that bench unit, and they crushed people. And Derek played well. And obviously, when the bench comes in this year, everybody's, doing, everybody's holding their breath. Everybody's doing their math to see how much ground, if any, the bench has given up. But the Jazz took all that money, and they rolled it into the fight. They gave Bogdanovich a lot of money. Mike Conley's making a lot of money. They've paid four guys $85 million. Now, Conley's been hurt here, obviously, recently. But the Jazz have put their money in the top five guys, and those five guys are out there winning clutch games at the end of the year. And Donovan's a year older with more experience. And that's a huge factor, too. So I think the clutch factor comes because the Jazz have put the money in the top guys on the roster. They had it spread all over the roster. That doesn't help you in the clutch when you send your best five guys out there. But it sure helps you when you send your bench out there at the end of the first quarter and the start of the second and at the end of the third quarter and the start of the fourth. Darren, good win. Just wish they would stop giving up big leads. I'm with you on that, Darren. People make runs. It comes down to how big the run is. If Portland had made a run and gotten within 8 or 10 or no closer, it would have been a run, but I wouldn't have thought anything of it. Okay, the fact they got 20 down to 1, impossible to ignore that. Jeff says, you know what I liked about this game? I love seeing Jeff Green not come off the bench. I wish him luck, but his shooting was atrocious. So there's been a lot of stuff flying around on social media about, you know, whether he fit in and how well he got along and was he, did he really buy in and was he part of the group. I don't know the answer to that, but if you play well enough, you don't have to buy in and be part of the group. I don't know if you've ever watched, but there are aloof guys in the NBA who don't really seem to be part of the group who score a lot of points. And they play in the NBA for a long time. I think it came down to production. The other stuff, was it a little factor? Was it a big factor? I don't know the answer to that. I know when it's been brought up, the Jazz have, and, and Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles have been active on social media. He's a good dude, and he was part of the group. So we can take that at face value. But if he hadn't been, and he played really well, he'd still be here. I don't think every Jazz guy who's been here has fit in great. But some of them have lasted a long time. And his candor had a pretty long run here. And he kind of fit in, but he kind of didn't. I mean, they kind of liked him, and he was nice enough, but he was kind of goofy, too. He didn't play a lick of defense. But, man, he could score and rebound. Zizuro says, and I think this is an important point, I like that Mitchell and Gobert played as all-stars. And that is what you need. You need two stars to play big at the end of the game. Donovan Mitchell had a huge game. But did it feel like 
he had to take over and force stuff? I didn't think so. I thought he felt like he got most of his points in the flow of the game. And when you looked up, he had 35 points. They shot the three pretty well. Any night, you're 50% from three. You're shooting it well, and he was three of six. And Portland is a bad team defensively. Their, their net rating, they're like, they've been bouncing around like 18, 19, 20 in the league. So you're down there in the bottom half of the league, almost the bottom third. You're not good. But I thought the most important thing, Mitchell got to the line. Eight of 11. You know, here's a guy who's averaging 25 points a game this year. And when he was at 20 points a game, we were all talking about, wow, he's coming to the league, and he's at 20 points a game. Can he score 25 a game if he's more efficient from three and better at the free throw line? And the answer, yeah, he can. And he's shooting a few more free throws, and he's shooting a little better percentage. Well, he even took criticism earlier this year for his inability to get to the free throw line. We've seen that uptick. I just don't think it's an inability. I, but I, I, it's I, decision making. I don't. I agree with you. I'm just saying that was the criticism right. going to his inability, but it's been an uptick of late. Absolutely, his three has only improved a little bit, and yeah. maybe it's not going to. I still think it can. It's like he's at 25 points a game, 25.1 right now, and it doesn't feel to me like he's maxed it out. And it doesn't feel like there are guys who could score 25 points a game, but they would be ball stoppers, and it wouldn't be helping their team win, and I don't think there's any of that going on. And I think staying with the, in the offense, there's still more out there for him, which is outrageous when a guy's averaging 25 points a game. In a given year, there's only 10 or 15 guys in the league who can do that. And most of them are much bigger than him, which is a huge advantage when you're finishing inside. And he's, uh, he's got his free throws up. He was shooting, as a rookie, shot less than four a game. And now he's a little over five. And if you shoot seven or eight a game, how's that going to impact his scoring? It's going to impact it a lot. Because as you get higher, not only are you getting more points at the free throw line, but people are afraid of putting you at the free throw line. And you're probably getting more open, uncontested shots. All right, we got many more people with many more takes on the Jazz, and we're going to get to them later in the show. But coming up next... Free advice for BYU. A couple things I'd do if I were Tom Homo. And Tom Homo's, you know, if he, if he were listening to this right now, I'd be like, yeah, well, you're not me and I'm not going to do it. Well, that may well be. But I'd do it anyway. And it's free advice. What do you got to lose? I'll get to that next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Tony Austin will be broadcasting live. Grand opening about time. Pub and Grill Sports Bar, 1280 Traverse Parkway in Lehigh, next to Harmon's on Tuesday the 31st from 10 a.m. till noon with great jazz swag. So I'm watching the BYU-Hawaii Bowl game, and I thought the announcers did a good job of educating themselves on the back history. They had June Jones on by phone. I always find that stuff awkward, but whatever. Um, but the whole back history... Uh, you know, the good games they play there, the rivalry, why the rivalry, the BYU fans out there, the BYU recruits from out there, the fact they left the whack, left Hawaii behind, how Hawaii felt about that. 
We know most of that here, but it's a bowl game. It's the only game on, and there's a national audience that doesn't know that storyline that's getting it explained to them. And I think as it gets explained to you, it kind of helps you buy into the game and you know buy into all the emotion you're seeing there. And it's a good game. It goes back and forth, and Hawaii ends up winning at the end. It snapped a five-game win streak for BYU in this series, but the five games goes back all the way to 2000. I'm meeting basically one year out of four. And so as I'm watching this, and I know BYU's quest to create more exposure and to uh, you know play on TV and be seen more places, and Kalani wanting to recreate the, uh, the pipeline from Hawaii that he knows well about, because in the 80s and 90s, BYU got a ton of players out of Hawaii. Now, everything's changed. There's more teams recruiting regionally than there used to be, and there's more teams recruiting nationally than there used to be. Everyone's spreading out. And so you're never going to recapture that, where there were basically two or three schools recruiting in Hawaii. So UH, you, BYU, and Utah. Uh, I think Arizona back in the day. Arizona, well, Dick Tomey went Tomey there. Tomey figured it out, too. Right. Yeah. Tomey went there and figured it out. And, and then as Mac came in, he started getting players yeah. out of Hawaii. But it was still a handful. Mm-hmm. And now if Hawaii produces an elite quarterback, he goes to Alabama. Okay, so it's Ohio a different... Ohio State's signing guys. Right, yeah. it's a different era. And you're not going to completely re- recreate that. But I'm thinking, why don't they play more often? Now, is trying to play a lot of teams. They're trying to play a lot of teams from all over the country. But you got to say... The Pac-12 and the Mountain West games have more sizzle. There's something about it. We've got more people from those areas. There's created rivalries. They played interested games in the past. Pac-12 passed over BYU, so anytime BYU can beat a Pac-12 team, BYU fans are going to love it. It's not that they don't love beating Big Ten or Big 12 teams, because they do, but there's a little something extra. So I'm thinking, why not play Hawaii more often and get creative? And I don't know if the NCAA even let you do this one. So I got two ideas. One I know BYU can do. One I don't know if they can do. But play BYU, set up the home and homes with them, and set up the game in Hawaii the same weekend as the conference title games. ESPN wants more programming. And if Hawaii does make the conference title game, and granted, now they could make it on just a week or two's notice, right? Just like they did this year. You'd have to bump it to another year. But wouldn't it be worth it to have a 13th game out there? And what do you do with that other game? I think you have to give the BYU coaches an easy win. They had three easy wins this year. The problem is they were all clumped in a row. But that's independent scheduling. It's a problem. But I'm looking at these other teams. And you're watching these other bowl games. And you'll see it going forward. And they'll go through the team season. And the SEC's figured it out. you got to sprinkle in some easy games. They're, they're like semi-buys, right? They're not really a buy, but they are if a guy's you know, rolled an ankle and needs a week off. And they are for the guy who needs that extra week in concussion protocol. And just for the average bumps and bruises that you carry through. And so if BYU adds that game and then throws a New Mexico State into the schedule, I'm good with that. It'd be better if they weren't all in a row. But look at next year's schedule. And ultimately some of these games may be easier than they look. But right now, it looks like they got one easy game. And you got to try to find a way to sprinkle some stuff in there in October, November, and, and give them a chance. And then the other thing is, with, uh, with BYU and Notre Dame, they're not going to play on conference title weekend. What about playing on conference title weekend? And this would be extra money for both schools. Play them at neutral foreign sites. And you only have to go to Canada. Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto... All have big enough stadiums. 
You can put 50,000 in them. Go to Dublin. Notre Dame's already done it. They're going to do it again. You can go to Mexico City or Hawaii. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. But I think that minimizing the travel and making it fit in easy, that's, go, that's go the to, goal. Go to yeah. Canada first. Well, yeah, but if you're going to do a, if you want to go to Dublin, you make that the season opener. You go over there. You could do that, early, right? Type of a deal, yeah. But I look at this conference title weekends when there aren't that many games, and here's it, the networks want more games. There's nothing they'll put college basketball on, but football gets higher ratings. So if you offer them a Notre Dame game, are you kidding me? And it wouldn't be a home game. It wouldn't be part of the NBC package. It wouldn't be a BYU home game. It wouldn't be part of the ESPN deal. Be extra money. Auction it off. Who wants it? ESPN, ABC, NBC. Fox or CBS, whoever, auction it off. It's free advice. There's an old song about that, Alan Sherman. Free advice. It's worth the price. When we come back, the Cougars, the bull fallout. Can't talk around the game, have to talk about it and what went wrong, how it reflects the season as a whole, what the Cougars have to do next. We got a lot of people weighing in on Facebook on that. 855 340 Zone. We will get to that next. David Locke is going to join us coming up at about 8 30 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.